All right, everyone. You've been listening. You've been waiting. And now the big Rent Ready reveal can finally come to light. Rent Ready just launched rental property accounting for all landlords. Now you can easily connect your rental properties from Rent Ready to an accounting software created specifically for landlords with Rent Ready's newest partner, REI Hub. So essentially with this, you can automatically transfer properties and charges from your rent ready profile. You can track your income and expenses with matching rules and payment templates to speed up your bookkeeping. View your profit and loss cash flow statements by property or unit and get your portfolio's balance sheet, schedule ease, and more. It would be so cool to get this all in one place too. This we've been doing this on the side. Imagine yeah. having this all in one REI hub. Love it. Like that play. So uh, this is something we definitely can use and we will be using. Um, so without further ado, obviously listeners, we are very excited about this and there's something a little bit more exciting. We more have exciting a exciting than that. Yeah. Way more. We can hook up our listeners. So with that, if you're currently not using rent ready, you can sign up using our special code juice pod and get 50% off your rent ready subscription. Once you set up your properties, you can add rental properties accounting as a premium feature. If you're currently using Rent Ready, go check out the new accounting features designed to save you time and money while you manage your business. So whether you don't have Rent Ready or you do, you have access to this feature. Make sure to use our code JuicePod. That's J-U-I-C-E-P-O-D to get your access, and that is found on RentReady.com. R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com. If this is your first time here, welcome. During our shows, we interview successful entrepreneurs and investors to spread knowledge, advice, and actionable tactics to help others in the pursuit of financial freedom. We discuss successes, failures, systems, motivations, experiences, and key lessons learned along the way in the hopes that these stories help you along your journey. Tune in every Wednesday to get your weekly juice. If you've been here before and like what you've been hearing, please subscribe, share with friends, rate, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That goes an extremely long way for us. It's simple. Just click on your podcast app, type in our podcast name, The Weekly Juice, click on the reviews and let us know what you think. The more ratings we get, the more eyes we'll get on our show and in turn, we'll be able to provide you all with high quality guests. You can also find us on Instagram at Weekly Juice Pod for daily content and personal finance tips to assist in your journey towards financial freedom. Welcome back to the Weekly Juice. As always, it's your boys, Ryan and Corey here with another episode for you. Today, we had on special guest, Jaron Sustar, also known as Finance Cowboy on Instagram. He's awesome. Uh, honestly, an incredible story. A 30-year-old millionaire with 20-plus rental properties in his portfolio um, between 20 long-term and two short-term. And he just went under contract for another 12-unit portfolio um, and has a stock portfolio of worth over 200K. So the guy's... He is very, very well off in a way of his investing, I would say, at a young age and very, very knowledgeable, gave a lot back in the episode, a lot of tips and tricks, and we had a blast with him. We did. We had, we had a great time. He, he's only been doing this for three years too. Like these people that are just like skyrocketing in their business, three years, he's in medical device sales. So he makes a great living. Right. And that's part of this. He's able to take that money. He lives frugally below his means. And he dumps, he literally said in the episode, he dumps all his money into real estate. So, and you know, that's the story of somebody being able to scale a portfolio to 22, potentially now 34 units in three years. Once you get those first few, it can, it can really snowball. And Jaron is living proof. Plus he's, you know, he's got the finance cowboy. So he's, he's really funny on Instagram. He's, um, 
it was a really good episode and it really dove into specifics on how he started his journey in real estate investing. Absolutely. He's a great guy, charismatic. I think just if you're sitting back, relaxing, maybe enjoying your drive, this is a good one for you. I think you're going to really enjoy it, especially good for beginners. So he's, he's great with walking through everything and talks about having an inner drive and, and really walks through the steps of the process on um, purchasing rentals and, and how to scale quickly. I mean, in three years, that's, that's pretty incredible to have a portfolio of 20 plus units. So, or it's now it's on 30. So, um, with that, I think we bring Jaron in and let him tell the rest of his story. Let's go. Jaron, officially welcome to the weekly juice podcast. Corey and I are thrilled to have you on the show today. We've been following your story on social for quite a while now. Um, you, you pulled our attention by, uh, we found out you're a 30 year old millionaire and you have a pretty hefty rental portfolio. So someone we are absolutely excited to interview and, and hopefully share some of your knowledge with our listeners. So if you could, without further ado, just give a little background on yourself, who you are, where you're from, and then how you got into real estate investing. Yeah. So thank you guys for having me. It's an honor to be here. You, you guys are crushing it. I love your podcast and you're putting out great content. So honored to be here. Uh, again, my name is JD. I go as the finance cowboy on Instagram. Um, I am from South Carolina. I'm from a small town in South Carolina. Grew up here my entire life. I always make the joke. If anybody's ever seen the movie radio, uh, it was popular there with Cuba Good Jr. for a while. That's where I went to high school. So my previous house radio lived two houses down from me. So pretty cool. That's um, really cool. Yeah, like yeah. Yeah. So from small town, South Carolina, I grew up, um, baseball was my life. So age five until I graduated college. Um, that was literally all I did. My goal was to play division one baseball. I got to do that at Charleston Southern university, um, small division one in Charleston, South Carolina, the big South conference, coastal Carolina, Liberty schools like that. And, um, so I, I got to achieve my dream. I, you know, I grew up as a pastor son. So, you know, very, um, you know, moral conservative home, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, wasn't taught about money. Uh, but was taught to love people, you know, and treat, treat everybody with respect. And, um, so I went on to college and graduated from college, met my wife there. And I knew, um, my skill set. I didn't have many of them outside of baseball and that was over. Didn't have a chance to, uh, to play at the professional level. Um, but I knew I loved to talk to people and hang out with people. And so I said, okay, what's the best career for me? And it was hands down sales. And so out of college, um, got a job at CentOS, which they're known for their really good sales training. So I went there, kind of get taught how to sell from there. I progressed to pharmaceutical sales. And then I got into medical device sales about five years ago. And so along that journey, my best friend, um, we've been best friends since we were you know, very young. He's like a brother to me. He started in real estate about the time that I started in pharmaceutical sales. And he didn't, you know, he didn't jump into buyer's agent, seller's agent. He jumped onto a team of uh, investment realtors. And so he was kind of their bird dog. He would go find the deals, cold call, send the letters. He would bring it back to his partner and mentor who had the buyer's list. And so he was getting equity in these deals for bringing good deals. And then he was starting to buy into, buy into properties and he was watching his net worth grow substantially. And we were keeping in touch and he's like, dude, you have got to get into real estate got to get into real estate and finances, you know, weren't in check when I first started working and I quit 
quickly learned, hey, I need to tighten this ship up because I have an opportunity to really grow wealth here. And so uh, between my best friend really nudging me along and then also my father-in-law, my wife's dad, he has a lot of properties. And um, I saw the wealth that it had generated him throughout the years. And I was like, hey, this, you know, this is where I want to be. So between those two guys, uh, they kind of they kind of steer me in that direction. And here I am today with 22 properties. Love it, man. Thanks for sharing, JD. I think uh, one of the questions that we like to ask a lot of our guests as we get started or we talk about you getting started in the journey is, uh, is there like some sort of pivot point where you were like, okay, I know this is what I want to do. Maybe you don't know what your first move is going to be. I'm curious, looking back, like what was your first move once you found out that real estate was like a way that you saw other people growing wealth? How did you apply that to your own life? So I think when I chose real estate, cause I mean, you can hop on Instagram and see there's so many different avenues to build wealth. Um, you know, everybody's got their own niche that they like to invest in. But when I ran the numbers, I was like, this is a no brainer. Like you just, you can't really compare it to anything else. Cause it builds your wealth so fast. And I'd watch it do that to my best friend short period of time who he's 30 years old. And he's now worth 3.5 million, you know, but at the time he was worth 1 million and we were only 27. I was like, Holy, you know? Wow. And so, um, when I, when I figured that out, that that is the way I wanted to go. I, um, you know, once I said, okay, this is, this is the way for me, I went into all right, knowledge, education, got to learn everything I possibly can. And I did that through obviously hanging out with him, you know, him mentoring me, so to speak, calling him, getting his feedback. But I listened to a lot of podcasts, bigger pockets, um, Robert Kiyosaki's rich dad, poor dad book is, it's not a real estate book. It's kind of funny, but it, um, it definitely sets you up to teach you, you know, how to leverage other people's money to build wealth. And, um, so I just spent a lot of time learning and then eventually I reached a point in my own personal finances where I was ready to take the plunge. And my buddy brought me one of his properties to get me in the game. And it was a three, two in a three bed, two bath house in Greenville, South Carolina. I bought it for $68,000. I've put 15 grand into it. And today it's probably worth around 200 grand. And that was the first move I made, you know, um, after, after building that knowledge base. Cool. I think after making that first move, you're, you said, did you say you were 27? Was this only three years ago that you started investing in real estate? Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. I bought my first property in 2018. Exactly. So <laughs> Ryan and I, when we talk to each other, we're like, Oh, we're moving pretty fast. Like we're doing, we're doing pretty well. And then we talk to people like you and you're like, Oh, I bought 22 units in three years. So obviously you got bit by the bug with that first property. And yep. I'm curious, what did that property do for you financially? Or maybe it opened your mind and like, how did you start to scale from there? I mean, what was your, strategy of like, ah, oh, shit, this is something that I really have to duplicate. I remember before I bought it, you had these hesitations. I don't know if you guys can remember back to before your first property, it was just oh. straight up fear. It's just fear. It's like, you don't know what lies on the other side and the thought of having debt uh, through a bank. Oh my goodness. I owe the bank. What if, what if I can't get a tenant? What if the rents don't check out? And um, it held me back for a long time until I took that plunge on that first property and you realize, okay, this isn't that big of a deal to take money out to a bank. It's pretty common in real estate and tenants are pretty easy to come by. <laughs> like people need a place to live. And so that opened my eyes to like, okay, like it's time to hop on this and go full force. And so it cash flowed pretty good, but 
But really the way that we scaled is number one, I've partnered on a number of properties with my buddy. So we, we put our money together and uh, bought a number of properties, but number two, I found a way to earn a high income. So I told you guys, I started in sales, started at CentOS, making no money at all. And I've worked my way up to where I make a very good income and medical device. But I know a lot of people, there's people that I work with who make just as much as I do, who live paycheck to paycheck. And so it's more than just a high income. And what my wife and I decided was we knew what we wanted for our future. And so that meant sacrifice and that meant discipline. And I did a podcast not long ago talking about pay now, play later. And we decided to pay now and sacrifice on all the finer things of life um, so that our life could be better later. And we look, you know, just three years later and um, you know, we see the impact it's had on us. So we didn't go out and buy the super nice house. We didn't go out and buy the cars. We didn't go out and buy the boats. We didn't go out to eat every night. Uh, we live very modest and we took every dime that we had outside of our living and invested in real estate. So we would save up for another down payment and then we'd go buy another property. And I think part of it too, that was advantageous to us is where I live. So I live in the Southeast. And for those of you listening, Southeast is a great market for rental properties. Midwest is a great market for rental properties. And so three years ago, I'd say the average purchase price of the home that I was buying was $60,000. And so I had lenders who would give me, you know, I'd only had to put anywhere from 10 to 20% down. Well, that's only six to $12,000. And so if you get frugal and you save up your money, boom, as soon as I had six, 12 grand, it was another one. And then I would just repeat the process. That's insane. I, I people are probably eyes opened wide <laughs> at that $60,000 price. Yeah. How has, um, can you talk about kind of like how the market has changed potentially from now, from back then to now? And then also when you mentioned $60,000 property, what's something like that cash flowing for per month? Is it, is it just like a hundred bucks, 200 bucks? Like, and one more based off of that is what makes a good deal to you? Like what's worthwhile to buy? What's that cash flow number that you're seeking out? Yeah. So I'll try to remember all those. You may have to, to <laughs> re-ask them uh, yeah, as far as the way, no, you're good. Yeah. As far as the way the market has changed, uh, those houses that were 60 grand are, if you didn't do anything to them are probably around 110, 115 today. Um, so it, they're harder to find. I used to find those deals on Zillow or the MLS. Now, if I'm going to find those deals, I'm having to cold call a lot. I'm having to find somebody who a family member just passed away and they're getting rid of the house. Somebody who's got to move really fast. Um, you know, things of that nature. And so when you look at what, what those assets are producing monthly, they would, they would bring in, I think the first couple I bought, I'd have to pull up the street, but I think there were anywhere from two to 400 a month. So they weren't absolutely crushing it at the time. I ended up refining, uh, cash out refining them so that the cash flow is not very good at all now. And I'll talk about that here in a second. Um, but my strategy when I started is because I had, and I, it's changed since. So I'll get into that too. But my strategy when I was, when I started was because I had a high income um, and I didn't feel like I needed the cash flow and I wasn't really striving for this financial independence in five years, wasn't necessarily, Hey, let's get as much cash flow as possible. I was okay with finding deals that broke even and just a place for me to park my number or finding good deals of burying them, taking the money out, 
Okay. And then go on and buy another deals, which again was hurting my cash flow, but I didn't necessarily care. And so my goal was just to build this strong foundation of, I bought single family homes, um, not the worst part of town, not in the best part of town. It's kind of that I call it the sweet spot where the people didn't have enough credit or enough cash to buy. So they had to rent, but they still had good working jobs. They were going to respect my stuff and the homes were still going to appreciate while I was having debt buy down and making you know a tad bit of cash flow. JD, one of the things that we talk about on our episodes, we probably haven't talked about it for several episodes, is that real estate is not economy proof, right? But if you're buying in a, in a type of asset class that you are, which is what we talk about, like a B minus C plus type area, there's always room for people to move up and there's always room for people to come down if there's an economy crash. So we talk about now, we don't have the money to invest in A class assets right now anyway. But I don't know that we would because we're always looking at, okay, if the market takes a dip and the people that were living in A-class rentals, they're going to need somewhere to go and they're going to need somewhere to, to go potentially down, right? So I love the strategy of you buying in that sweet spot because that is where that 1%, 1.5% rule or maybe even more can kind of take over. Uh, and if you buy in really, really nicer properties, yeah, you may get more appreciation, but you're, it's going to be tougher to sustain the years where they're not cash flowing. So is Rye, I think one of the other questions he asked was, what are these, or did you mention, or you did mention what they're cash flowing, like two to $400 a month to start. What are they cash flowing now, even three years later? Have the rents gone up in your area or have they stayed kind of the same? So they actually, and this was a conversation I had with my property manager not long ago, they had been decently stagnant. And I, you know, I, and you guys are probably the same way. I landlord mine, whatever the word is, you know, as a, with a moral compass. And so in 2020, for me, I wasn't going to drive up rents. I just wasn't going to do it. And so we stay, you know, we've stayed pretty stagnant and we are starting to raise them now. And so the cash flows are, you know, they're still, they're probably still sitting around the same once the uh, rent increases because I did cash out re refi uh, to buy other properties. But you asked, you know, kind of what's my strategy look, you know, now what is, what's worth it to me. And so to give you an example, I have transitioned from, okay, real estate's just a place to park my money to we're buying cash flow and assets because I realize now with my income, I can, I can create financial freedom pretty darn quick buying the right properties. And so I have a, uh, portfolio of properties under contract right now. There's 12 of them. And to give you an example, it's a 10 cap, uh, the cash on cash return is 22%. Wow. And the yearly cash flow is on a 20 year note, it's about 22,000, 21,5. And on a 30 year note, it's 28 to 29,000. And that's where I'm at now to what is worth it for me. I'm not playing in the six cap space, seven cap space anymore um, with small cash flow. I'm at the point where we're going to dig, find the good deals, the portfolios where I can get a better deal for more properties. Got it. I don't think we mentioned this yet on the pod. On the pod, did you mention that you have 22 units total, correct? And then this, if you are able to close on this property, I guess that would make 32, right? Uh, it'd be 34 total. Awesome. There's 12 34. of them. Yep. And then you have so it's I, I believe your current portfolio as of right now it's all single family, and then you have two short term rentals. Uh, long term. So, so you have a 20. Is it 20 units in the long term space, and then the two units in the short term? That's exactly right. And out of the 20 in the long-term space, seven of those are mobile homes. Wow. So it's a mini mobile home park. Let's talk about those. That's very interesting. Yeah. 
So walk us through those. How did you transition from a, a single family to like, Hey, let's dive into mobile homes. That's definitely a different ballpark. I'll say the least. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I just mentioned my strategy has changed to, Hey, let's build up some cash flow. I really feel good about the foundation of my portfolio. I, I preach all the time. Hey, we got to build a strong foundation. Like before you do anything, don't go buying crap properties. I would never recommend buying mobile, mobile home parks as your first investment. That's me personally, because it's a depreciate depreciating asset. And so I, I think it's smart to build a solid base with three twos, two twos, maybe two, one single family home, maybe mix some duplexes in there. And then once you have that, we can start branching out and say, okay, what are a little riskier asset class, but it's going to bring me in higher cash flow. And so I reached that point where I felt stabilized in my own portfolio. And again, my buddy, we were, uh, we, we wanted to put our money together and see what we could find. And uh, we, we came across this, this trailer park deal and um, there's seven mobile homes and two homes and it, the gross cash flow. So we bought it for three fifty, I think it was three sixty, and the gross annual cash flow is sixty thousand dollars. And wow. so it's a it's a heck of a deal. And we have it on a ten year note, and so we only have eight and a half years left. And so once we get that paid off, that's going to be thirty grand a piece in our pocket um, coming in. So it was a home run deal as far as cash flow. But now, with that being said, for those of you who've never bought mobile home parks, it's not a home. And so a lot of times the tenants don't necessarily treat the place, um, you know, maybe as good as it would in one of those B minus C plus areas. And then what the homes are made out of is not near as sturdy as what's in a actual home. So like those little skirts, if you've ever looked at the bottom of a trailer, those little skirts that kind of cover the underneath, those things break all the time. Well, guess who has to pay for them? This guy, you know, so there are more, it's a little riskier. There's more stuff that comes with it, but the cash flow is insane. And so that's why we hopped in. Well, what's interesting about that uh, is I've heard about two types of ways to own. I I don't know a lot about mobile homes, but I've I've learned about two types of ways to own them. And it sounds like you're doing what's you own, not only the lot, but the actual mobile home itself, where I've heard of people building, buying mobile home lots. And then the, essentially the, the tenants own their own home and then they just rent the space from you. Like they, they rent that plot of land, which is potentially ultra passive, right? Because you're not worried about all the things breaking, but in this scenario, you own the mobile home and the lot, correct? Yes. So you can, if you're going to invest in mobile homes and you've never invested before, just buy land and let them pay you a fee. Yep. If you want your cake and eat it too, the cash flow comes from the homes themselves. So we own the land and the homes, but you're going to have the risk of the homes. What you never want to do is own the mobile home and not the land. As an investor, I would never recommend been doing that because whoever owns the land, if he's charging you 200 a month, if he just gets feels froggy and wants to bump that fee up to $600 a month, there's nothing you can do about it. And so that would be my, that would be my advice if you were to hop in the, in the mobile home arena. So with that, and, and I kind of want to couple this into your entire portfolio, cause it's, it's inter- interesting. You have the mobile homes, you have the single family, and then um, the short terms, I know that they might be single families, but I just kind of putting those into a different bucket for now. So three different buckets. Are you self-managing or do you hire a property manager to maintain this thing for you? Cause I personally, with all this going on, I can't see you out there drilling down some of these skirts on the mobile homes. No, heck no. So I, I got a full-time job. I got three kids. I coach. I'm very involved in church. I am not chasing people down for rent checks and taking calls. So somebody manages all of my properties. I tried to manage one long-term rental once with the guy who I know who rents it out. And he was supposed to pay on the first, 
when it started drifting to the eighth and the 15th and the 22nd and the 30th, I was like, you know what? I'm just getting to the property. Now. I was like, this is, I'm not cut out for this right now. And then when you look at my short term, so all my long-term rentals are managed. So it's completely passive to me. I'd say the average fee I pay is 10 this portfolio that I have under contract for the 12 units, the, they're all rented out and it's under a property manager that only charges 8%. So I'm pretty fired up about that. Very as cool. far as my Airbnbs, I started managing them. So you had to pay a cleaning team. Obviously that's one of your main, your main key ingredients when you have a short-term rental, especially when you're not close and we're four hours away from ours. So when I started, I ran the Airbnb. I tried to automate everything I could get you know hired a cleaning team out sent them the schedule every month if you've never owned an airbnb there is so much more that goes into it than a long-term rental and there are lots of questions i get asked throughout the day so maybe i'm missing something and so you guys can educate me here you can only automate so much until people start asking specific questions and to be quite honest i got tired of the specific questions and so i had been doing it for a year and a half and i was shopping around seeing what everything costs and the problem is for a short-term rental management company I was seeing anywhere from 15 to 25% that you were having to pay off of your gross rent for them to manage. And so I called my mom. I was like, Hey, you want to make some side cash. And uh, she's like, yeah. And so I gave her the first one. I paid her 500 bucks a month on it. And then I bought the one across the street from the first one I owned, gave her that one. And so she makes a thousand bucks a month, manages them. I don't have to hear much about it anymore because we got a system in place and uh, that's become passive as well. Amazing. It's funny because Ryan and I, we mentioned that we're at seven units together and we talked about when we get to 10, we're going to, you know, hire a property manager and we've been getting into some different types of investments. So our portfolio hasn't grown this year as much as we thought it would, but next year we think it will. Um, and we d- it's even seven units. It's, it's not a little bit of work. I mean, it's, it's, it's way more passive than your full-time job. Right. But it's, I mean, we're dealing with two maintenance things a month. Right. And we have great systems in place that people, other people are actually performing the work, but you're still talking with contractors, taking calls, trying to diagnose an issue, trying to see if you're going to pay too much for something. If somebody's trying to rip you off. So there's a lot that goes into it. And I can't personally, I can't wait till we get to the point where we feel that, it's a lot more passive for us. So I, I can appreciate that. I think the next question I have is how do you know JD, what a good deal looks like? And maybe it looks different than what it looked like when you first started buying. But like, if you're going to look for a deal today, maybe similar to the ones that you've bought, what are some, you know, three or four things that you're looking at to say, this is a good deal. And I would recommend somebody else looking at it to buy this. It's going to be a super boring answer. And I apologize to all you viewers, but I strictly look at numbers. Um, so I narrow it. I started by, okay, what's not the best part of town? What's not the worst part of town? I find that sweet spot. And then I hop on Zillow works for me, realtor.com. And I say, okay, what are the comps here? So what are the comparable home prices that have just sold? And I look, okay, what are three twos going for? They're going for a hundred grand. That's not fixed up. It's not a crappy house, but it's not a nice house. That's at about a hundred. So a nice one's probably at 135. And so I just start writing down uh, comps for the certain area that I want to look in. And then I plug numbers in. 
So, you know, I, I realized, okay, what do I got to get to reach, you know, a 10 cap, uh, to reach this cash flow number. And so I'll take it and I have a, a tool. I'm actually about to come out with it. So everybody can use it. The one, same one that I use that I plug in. Okay. Here's what the loan amount's going to be. Here's what the amortization is going to be. So it shows you your principal and interest. Here's your cap rate. Uh, here's your cash on cash return. Here's your cash flow. That's after you plug in property management, any HOAs, insurance taxes. And so when I plug all that in and it spits out what I want to see, um, you know, then I'm like, okay, I'm all in on this. And, um, the, you know, the last thing that, that stands is an inspection. As long as there's, you know, no hazards, no, you know, water standing everywhere and safety issues, then, um, you know, then I'll move forward. So that's, you know, I don't know if that's exactly what you're looking for, but the point I'm trying to make is I'll just look really hard at the numbers. Uh, you know, I don't really necessarily care how the house looks right now because I've done enough real estate to know when it comes time to sell that, because I'm buying rental properties, I'm not trying to make them look nice right now, but when it comes time to sell it, I can change all that and make you make it look better. How's the bones? Do the numbers make sense? Is it in the good area? Very Great. cool. Let's talk about once you find the deal, right? making an offer and then also financing the deal. I think that's where a lot of people get hung up on like going through the process, right? They go through and they, they find a deal and then they're like, Oh wait, how am I going to pay for this thing? And, you know, like <laughs> at, at some point it's like Corey and I get sucked in the cycle. And I know you were at some point you had to be in this too. It's like you save up 50, 60 grand, you're ready to go. You drop it on a property. Then you got to wait, save that back up, drop it again. So can you talk about kind of how you finance deals? I know you mentioned you going with a partner, but like maybe a structure of like what that looks like and then what recommendations you may have for someone that's looking to get their maybe like first, first property, first, second, third property, just how they can start kind of building that snowball up. Yeah. So I think the first thing that happens is, and it's not easy. So I know it's not easy, but try to find a way to make more money. But, you know, it's that simple. Your income is kind of that the fuel that it runs the engine of your growth, of your wealth growth. And so the more money you have that you can put in, um, the quicker you're going to grow. But for, as for what I did, the majority um, of the loans I've done are 20 percent down. Um, so they would loan me 80 percent. Most of them are on a 20 year amortization schedule. Um, a couple of them have 10 year balloon payments. Some of them are on a straight 20 year amortization getting creative. If you don't have a lot of cash, uh, or if you want to do more deals is partnerships, like you mentioned, like you guys are doing, because then it's 50, 50. Yeah. You don't own as much equity, but you're able to accumulate more properties. And it's always nice when you're new to do it with somebody. Um, you know, I, it was always better when I was doing it with my buddy, when I first started compared to myself, cause you feel like, okay, at least I got a, you know, somebody to lean on. And then a really savvy, there's two savvy ways that you can do it. And this is what I would recommend if you do not have much cash at all. So number one, these are hard to find, but I have a lender. I don't do it anymore. Um, just because I, I don't have to do it. I have enough money to put money down and have equity. But when I did not have as much money, I found a lender who would loan me off the appraised value of a home instead of the purchase price. And so I would go find undervalued homes. So let's say a home I knew was worth a hundred grand. I would get it for 80 grand. Well, the lender would loan me off of the hundred grand because that's what it appraised for. And so now my entire down payment was covered in my lender's loan because he's loaning me off the appraised value. And so there would be times where I was getting checks back at closing. Like I get two grand back, um, you know, based off of the appraisal. 
And when you do that, you don't have to have any money in your cash on cash return is, I mean, infinite, infinite and beyond. Yeah. Because you've put no money down. Um, so that's one savvy way that takes work. You got to network and find a lender, or you just got to ask around, interview them, take them to lunch, you know, but I promise the more work you do on the front end, the easier it's going to be for you on the back end. Second way that's probably easier than trying to find a lender going through the weeds is finding someone close to you, or maybe not even close to you, finding somebody. And this one's a little riskier, uh, that loans hard money, um, or, you know, what we say a short-term loan, they call it hard money. I think that sounds kind of scary, but if you know, you can find undervalued properties, it's essentially the Burr method. And so you use somebody else's cash. We'll use the same example. Uh, you know, got a house under contract for 80 grand, but you know, it's worth a hundred, get somebody to loan you that 80 grand, you go and refinance it with a bank. It's worth a hundred. The bank gives you your $80,000 back and a cash out refi. You give it to the person that lend it to you, the private lender, they get their money back, probably pay them a little fee for lending to you. And then now you own that property. Maybe you're in it for two to three gram, you know, with interest and fees um, between closing costs and, and paying back that lender. So um, those are the two savvy ways that can be done. People say, oh, that's not easy. Well, no, I didn't say it was easy, but it can be done. I've done it a million times. And so it, I always say, you know, kind of, it's kind of cliche, but how bad do you want it? Do you want to own a bunch of properties? If so, you'll go find money. People are looking to lend. People are looking to lend money. There's even in bad economies, there's a bunch of rich people who have a ton of money that want to diversify it through loans because they get tax benefits there as well. So you can find money. So JD, just to put this in perspective, you're essentially getting the property under contract with the seller. I imagine in this case, you're working direct with the seller or are you still using a realtor and that's in that um, those scenarios. No, you can use a realtor. Too. I, I okay. ended up getting my license now. I mean, obviously if you can work directly with the seller, it's easier, you know, if you're cold calling, uh, but I've done it both ways. Got it. So then you're getting the property under contract and then knowing in your head, as there's an inspection and appraisal period that, Oh, I know what this property is worth. So you don't have to put any money out of pocket until the appraisal comes back. If the appraisal comes back and it's not what you thought it was, there's always contingencies for you to get out of the deal. Is that what I'm hearing? Exactly. Or you pony up and, you have the money or you find some money and then, Hey, I'll pay you back on longer term. You know, there's ways to get around it, but yes, you always leave yourself an out. That's interesting. Did you, did I catch that? You said you, you're an agent now as well. You got your license. I am. Mm -hmm. Just so, so I can how see does properties. that go ahead? What'd you say? Just so I can see properties. Very cool. Know, whenever I want. I was about to say, what could you give us a list of benefits that you see you having your license has versus not having it? Um, again, getting to see properties just on demand. I would have to call a lady from church who was my realtor, super great to work with, but I felt bad because I look at a lot of properties that I don't buy. And so we were going, you know, I'm taking her in these, you know, suspect areas and uh, you know, then I don't buy. I was like, man, I kind of feel bad for doing this. And so I literally got mine just to be able to go, but you know, uh, the benefit that I did not see coming is we moved. So I sold my, while well, I'm in the middle of selling my old personal home in bulk this home I'm in now recently. So I got to save, you know, or make whichever way you want to look at it, a ton of money that way. But yeah, for me, it was, um, it was mainly to be able to go see houses. You do have access to the MLS, but there's ways to get to that without having to be a realtor too, through different apps. Very cool. I like that a lot. Um, Corey, did you have one? Yeah. Yeah. I think that we would like to talk specifically about hey, maybe either your most lucrative creative deal or your favorite deal to, to run through the exact numbers. Uh, maybe if you want to talk about this, this 12 
packaged property that you're taught that you're kind of under contract. I don't know if you don't want to jinx anything. We're cool with that too. Nah, but no, um, if you could just, yeah, if you could walk us through, I think you talked about the cash flow, but maybe just every detail of the property that you're willing to share, I think is really cool to, to share because what I, we preach all the time is that once you get started in this game and you start to build some momentum, so to speak, the, the third property is easier than the second. The second property is easier than the first. And then, JD, you're at a point now where the units 34, you know, from 22 to 34 are probably a lot easier and you're able to scale faster. So maybe if you would just give us some details there and, and how that is laid out for you. Yeah. So this deal, um, it was interesting how it materialized because everybody says you can't find deals right now. There's no deals to be found. That's all I hear. And I haven't, I haven't bought a lot this year. Um, I bought one more uh, short-term rental that gave me two. And then I bought my personal home. And so it knocked a lot of my cash out. And I haven't been able to buy as many properties. Short-term rentals way more expensive than long-term rentals. Around here. Right. So anyways, I haven't really dug in, you know, normally I would, you know, use some strategies, like some strategies I use, you can use mail outs, you know, just pick an area. Uh, you can use cold callers from the Philippines. One of the greatest things I like to do, and I'm kind of going on a rabbit trail here, but is there's an app I use called land glide. And so it pulls all the data from all the county websites um, throughout the country. And so I choose an area that I want to invest in and I go look in that area for a reoccurring LLC. And so if I see a recurring LLC, I know that's an investor. So then I'll look up who owns that LLC and I'll call them and I'll be like, Hey, are you interested in selling this portfolio? Um, Cause a lot of times investors are ready to wheel and deal and little hack here. When you have rental properties if you can sell it to another investor, that means you don't have to do all the work to sell it at retail. And so right. a lot of investors are okay with making 20 grand in two, three years. Cause they'll just keep moving that money, um, you know, compared to them having to fix it up and sell it on the market. So anyways, that's a little hack. When, when, when times get hard for me to try and find deals, I just call other investors and I look at what'd you buy this for? And I'll tell them, dude, you just got this for 50 grand two years ago. Like I'm offering you a 20,000 profit in two years. I'm still getting a good deal. So anyways, I actually didn't even have to do that for this deal. So I was just browsing Zillow and I was looking at a different town I never invested in before. And I saw all these properties for sale around each other. And I was like, ah, this is kind of suspect here. This looks like a, this looks like an investor trying to sell these at retail and make a buck is what it looked like to me. It was like, ah, they're not quite worth this. You know, I had done my comps in the area. I was like, yes, yeah, this is kind of high. And I saw it was the same realtor listing them. So I called him the next day. I was like, Hey, would your client be interested in selling this portfolio to a agent or an agent to an investor um, at a discount? Or is she trying to get retail? He's like, yeah, she would take it for the high in the high sixes. So I ran the numbers on the high sixes and it just, you know, it was a fine deal. It's still, it brings in 75 50 a month in rental income. So on the 1% rule, it still made sense. But like I said, I'm looking for better deals. And, um, so I called him. I was like, Hey, I want to come see him. And I want to meet both of you guys. I'm all, I'm big on personal relationships. I was like, I want to meet the investor. I want to meet you. He's like, let's do it. So I went down there and I hung out with him for two and a half, three hours. And I got to know him. I went around and looked at the properties with him, got my eyes on them, you know, made the connection here, built that trust. And then, you know, we got done with the day and made great connections. They're going to bring me a lot of deals now. I got done. And I was like, okay, like, they talked a lot. So I knew what they looked for in deals. So I was like, I'm going to pin that against them gently. You know, they said, <laughs> yeah. we don't take any less than a 10 cap. You know, we look for this amount and I'm like just taking notes mentally. <laughs> and so I go back to the drawing board and I was like, 
Well, I'm going to play that card. She, I, I done my research. This chick who's an investor, she's so savvy. We're friends now. Thank God. Cause she's going to bring me good deals. Dude. She had just bought these 12 in July for 340 grand. Wow. $340,000. This family like had passed away and they were getting rid of them. And like, I mean, it was like, that's like a 17 cap. Her cash flow was ridiculous. So she was just flipping it. So she was trying to flip it at retail and sell it all for 880, which would have made her half a mil. So I come in and I'm like, I, I mean, I called the realtor. I was like, Hey, great hanging out with you guys yesterday. I was like, I can't do high sixes. That just doesn't meet the numbers. I was like, we all talked yesterday. Like I'm an investor. I need at least a 10 cap, you know, because <laughs> that even sounds like I need at least a 10 cap. And uh, I was like, five thirty puts me at 10 cap. You know, she counters back at six and I kind of held my ground. And I was like, five fifty is the best I could do. I was like, Dave, tell her she just bought it for three forty. for God's sake. She's going to make $210,000 in five months. I'm getting a good deal. You're getting commission on both ends. Like, let's get the deal done. And he called me back and, uh, and you know, I got the deal done. And so, you know, that's how that one materialized, you know, numbers wise, like I said, I plugged that in. So I was, what I was doing is I was taking those days, you know, she countered at six, I'm plugging $600,000 into my spreadsheet and it's spitting out my numbers. Well, that dropped me down to like an eight and a half cap. And my yearly cash flow was only 17,000, you know, and I really wanted to keep my cash flow between 20 and 28,000 cap rate at 10. And um, so I just, you know, held my ground and, and I gave them a reason to, I built that trust and I let them know, here's why I'm offering this. You know, don't go just offer blindly and don't be able to back it up. Like you gotta be able to say like, I'm not just lowballing you. This is why I'm giving you this offer. And I was able to do that reasonably. And she took it and here we are. I'm pretty stoked. Here's why it's important. First of all, that story is awesome. And here's why it's important to make more offers than you think you should make or make calculated offers and, and not always assume the situation that the seller is in. I mean, your scenario is a perfect example of who would have known that this person was flipping a portfolio of properties? I mean, that doesn't happen very often, maybe more often than, than I know, but it doesn't happen that often. And you're thinking, okay, maybe I'm walking away with a great deal, but this person just made, you said 200 plus thousand dollars in a few months. Another scenario that I can think of is like, you never know if this person is selling this property because their grandmother or grandfather, somebody passed away and the house is actually paid off. So the difference between them getting $392,000 and $361,000 is essentially nothing to them because they're trying to offload something. So if you make the, obviously the more offers that you make, the more that you're going to, to win and get properties, but just never assume somebody else's scenario. And I think that's really you did a great thing by going to meet these people because you can learn a lot just by listening to what's going on in the market and also with people's specific scenarios. Exactly. For your sales background came in hundred percent. I mean, I just, you just walked us through like negotiation playing both sides. I think it's brilliant, man. Um, and, and good to point out because that negotiation is, is, just a whole other rabbit hole that we could go down and, and how I just like how you met them in person, you built that connection, built the trust, and then you use that leverage back and forth in the mental notes to get the deal done. So incredible. Now you have a relationship, right? And we talk about that all the time in real estate. Like that's what it's all about. She made a profit, but also she made, let's hopefully talk about a, a long-term relationship with you. So that way she can funnel you deals, you funnel her deals and the, and the whole thing goes around. But, um, I did want to touch on this. I don't think we mentioned it. it. So this is a portfolio that you purchased of 12 units. It's eight single family homes, three duplexes and one triplex. Is that correct? Yes. Perfect. Or either nine, two, one, one of the two, it's either eight single family, three duplexes, one triplex or nine single family, two 
and one triplex. Cool. One of the two. So, yeah. Great. You don't even know. You just know it's a good deal. Yeah. So. I got it literally <laughs> yeah. sitting right here. I pulled up, but yeah. <laughs> no, it's great. Um, so with that, I mean, your portfolio is, excuse me, portfolio is going to grow into the thirties, right? And mm-hmm. I'm thinking about all the different things you have. You have the long-term rentals, you have the short-term rentals, and then you ha- also have the mobile home. Can you dive into the systems a little bit now? I know you talked about it briefly, right? You have your mom helping you out with single families, but, and you have a property manager also handling, I guess, the long terms. So are you going to keep that property manager or are you going to have, do you have multiple property managers to break this thing up? And then can you talk about maybe just like apps, systems, and things you have on the back end to keep everything tracked and, and managed so that you at least have some clarity on how this thing's running so that you can move back and forth between the property managers and, and make sure you can check some balances essentially. Yeah. So I, I'll be honest with you. I probably, um, because I don't manage mine, I won't have as good answers as some of your other guests on here. The reason being is the managers have all of that it's all there. And so I don't ever hear from them uh, unless the repair is over $500. So I don't even have any systems for my long-term rentals as far as when it comes to managing it, other than don't call me unless it's over 500 bucks. And so they send me my check every month. They send my statements. I got a list of repairs at the end of the year so I can turn it in for tax purposes. Um, And that's all of them. So that's, I got one property management in Anderson where I live. That's where the majority of my properties are. Um, One in Greenville, and then I'll have this, God forbid, nothing happen. This other one in this other town um, that manages the other one. So I don't have many to keep up with. So long-term, I really don't do anything. Um, short-term, Airbnb really logs everything for you. <laughs> you know, My mom handles the process. Of, so Airbnb handles the process of people booking, people paying. So you're not having to collect any money there. My mom sets the process. She has her calendar synced with the cleaning teams. And she also has the calendar synced with Verbo. Um, so that would be something I would recommend doing if you're going to use both sites. Probably don't need to because Airbnb crushes. Um, and then, uh, you know, all the details that we have, um, are, are listed on Airbnb. And then my mom, the one system we have, she keeps a spreadsheet of everything that we spend. So any expenses she has to do. So really, you know, I know it's a boring answer. It's all kind of done for me and that's by design. So no, that's um, good. I, I, so that will leads me to my next point. So then how does someone that wants to do what you do find a great property manager? What questions are you asking or what, like who are you networking and, and potentially using their property manager? Just, I, I'm trying to think like Corey and I are, in the market for property manager coming up in soon, right? We kind of just talked about that. And is it to us, you set the benchmark of like 500 bucks, right? Don't call me unless it's 500 bucks. Our worry with that is how many times are they going to call us per month if for something 500 bucks? Like, are they, are they going to check it as much as we are and be like, no, no, we can fix it for cheaper. Or I'm just always wondering behind the scenes of like how to keep things in check and, and how much trust you really give them. So I know that was a lot, but once again, you, sorry. You, um, to find them, I just interviewed them. So I use my network of people. So I know realtors in town. You guys probably know another realtor to um, start there because you know somebody and get their recommendation. And then Google's powerful. You know, find find three or four that have good reviews and then set meetings with them. Hey, I'm an investor. I have seven properties right now or 10, whatever the case may be. I currently manage them. I don't want to manage them anymore. And I'm meeting with somebody, um, you know, I'm meeting with four property management companies to see which one is going to be the best fit, best fit for me. And so you sit down with them, you get your gut feeling, what percentage do they um, charge? You know, what's their retention rate on their, um, 
uh, you know, tenants, how often are they raising rents, um, things of that nature. And then talk to them. You can talk to them through that process. Like mine, I know that they get multiple quotes anytime a repair is done. So they don't just send one guy and, you know, not try to do, do the best thing for the landlords. I know that about them. And I knew that on the front end. And that's one of the big reasons I went with them. Cause I'm like, you guys, like, I want to save money. I don't want you just sending somebody out there and not caring about the price. And so that's, that's big for me too. So you, you interview all these, you know, go through and say, okay, which one do we like best? I would have them give you multiple customers that use them, reach out to them. And I went through the process of elimination and chose the one that I thought best fit me. And it's been a, it's been a great working relationship. Awesome. awesome. Thank great you. Great answer. Um, I'm curious what your feelings are, especially with people starting out in terms of proximity to the properties that you own. Do you feel like it's important for investors maybe getting started to own properties in their backyard to learn the ropes? Or would you suggest investors go right to long distance? And the reason why I'm asking this question is that I, we t- I think we were talking before the show, Ryan and I live close enough to drive to our properties, but we do not drive to our properties. So what's the difference if we're one hour away or if we're 14 hours away, if we have the right systems in place. And we know now just from talking to different investors, like we live in the Northeast, man, the properties up here, like you can buy one to two properties for you can buy six to seven properties in an area like you live in or in the Midwest. So do you recommend to investors to go right to out of state or what are your thoughts there? No, uh, in, in a perfect world, it would be, it would be nice if you could invest close to you just because that fear factor we talked about early, earlier, I remember what you feel like. And so you're like, I want to be there and handle it and you know, be close. But to echo what you guys said, I'm never at any, any of my properties that like, I'd never go by there. So when you really stop and think about it, especially with the way I run mine being uh, done with a property management company I could buy anywhere. And there's so many markets throughout the U S where people can't afford to buy a rental. I mean, I live in the Southeast and there are a lot of places now where three years ago, you could find a good rental that you can't any longer. And so I don't know if I'm seeing Podunk, South Carolina, you guys in Philly, you got people in California, you know, Austin, Texas, Nashville. You're not, there's nowhere around Nashville that you're buying a rental property right. and going to cash flow. And so I would encourage you, don't be scared to branch out and don't be scared to necessarily get properties under contract before you go and see them. Um, there's a guy on Instagram, Felipe Mejia. I don't know if you go, guys know Felipe. Know Felipe the well, yeah. Right? yeah. He's been on so, our show twice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Felipe's awesome. We, we keep in touch a, a decent amount. He always says the negotiations don't start until after the property's under contract. And I love that saying that he has because you can get out with inspections. And so I would, I would encourage you if you live in that area where you can't find a good deal, it's time to branch out. And you may say, where do I start? Well, that's, that's a loaded question. You know, do you want a short-term rental? Do you want long-term rentals? What's your price range? Um, but once you narrow those things down, um, you can start with, okay, I know I want to be in South Carolina, you know, in between Atlanta and Charlotte, that's where I live. And I want to look in the 100 to 120 price range. Great. You've got a budget now. Now it's let's put our team in place, which you guys seem like you're great at. You got, you got your systems and teams in places. we got to hire an investment realtor who knows the area, who knows what I'm looking for. We got to start interviewing property manager companies virtually over zoom and things of that nature. And so say all that to say, 
there's processes that you need to be in place to make sure you do it efficiently, but don't not invest in real estate because close to you is a bad investment because you're going to miss out on generational wealth. If you do. Awesome. That's a great, great answer. Very, very, very helpful. And it, it's dawning on me that I think we're, we're wasting a lot of time um, with managing our properties and it's just, it's, totally. it's more just like what mental space that's getting taken away and us, we could just be focused on, okay, that's all taken care of all the BS on the side and the communication, everything's taken care of. All we have to focus on is analyzing, finding marketing for, and just like figuring out finding deals, right? Like, and just putting the negotiating, putting them together. And that's something that we're good at anyways, right? It's just like, it's almost more so the reactive stuff is weighing you down and then you can't get as proactive as you'd like to. So um, it was, thank you for the breakdown. And just like the, it's a simple eye opener, but it's sometimes it's good to hear it from people in, in your same space, right? So and it hurts, especially I've never been on your side of the aisle where you're not used to giving up that, you know, that piece of the pie. So I just started from the get go, but my buddy, who's, you know, my age and we're 3.5, 4 mil now, he's a big value your time guy. And it's taken me a while to get there, but you realize I have bogged myself down in life with things you're talking about. It's a mental, it just drains your energy and you don't even realize it. And no, we realize a, it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I'm sure you do. But it's a, it's a growth. I don't want to use the word maturity because that's not the right word, but, but it's like a growth. Like you go through these different stages where you finally reach a point where you're just not just in real estate, but I was, I had this conversation with my wife two nights ago. I was like, and it sounds snobby. I don't mean it like that. I just, I said, I'm at the point now where I'm not going to waste my time trying to do things that I'm not the most efficient person at when I could be doing something better. And there's somebody who's a professional who can get it done in a way better time and more efficiently than I am. And so, yeah, that's going to cause for me paying out a little more, but like, for example, I'm not good at plumbing. There's stuff I can do, but I suck at plumbing. So I can get under the sink and I can unscrew the, um, Oh, uh, what's the thing called that chops up the food? The, uh, garburetor. Um, or yeah, yeah, exactly. I, disposal, the garbage disposal. I can get under there and try to fix it, but it's going to take me five hours to figure it out. And then I'm going to not even get it right at the end of the five hours, or I can pay somebody who's going to have it done. And two, I got to spend my five hours doing something else. Yep. And that's where Dude, I'm at life. Oh, uh, I had this, I go back and forth. It's like ping pong with me. So th- this one's funny. It's my own personal residence, but today I get a, uh, so I live in a, in a, in a development that has an HOA and they hit you with this, you get like, not a, a fine, but like a warning letter. And they're like, Hey, you have uh basically one area of my house is like shaded by a big tree. And like, it gets mo- like mold on the side of it. It's not even mold. It's like, it's like this dream film. They're like, Hey, you need to power wash this. I'm like, all right, cool. So I look it up. And last time someone came, it was like 450 bucks. I'm like, dude, that, I mean, that's like not cheap. You know what I mean? And so, um, uh, that's like one that's cash flow on one of the properties, right? Like that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, do I really want to drop that for someone to spray my house? So my father-in-law has a, um, a power washer dropped it off of the house. Dude, it's been sitting outside for like two days. I'm like, dude, I may just pay the 450 bucks. I, but I have the thing out there. So I decided not to get lazy. And I spent literally four hours today, just like grinding out the, the power washer. But you know what? It was kind of like, I, I paid myself a hundred bucks an hour, right? Like it, it was rather than having to go pay someone else, I got to keep my cash. So it, it goes back and forth. And I wouldn't say that's the same thing as hiring a property manager, not hiring a property manager, but that's what goes through my head. Like these numbers, I'm like, dude, 
is my time worth doing this? Like if yeah. luckily I didn't have anything else to do in the, that four hour time block or else I would have been like, damn, I'm really taken away from where my money making hours. So it's just uh, it, it's a funny thing to, to battle every single day with, but uh, like you under the, under the sink, man, like this one, luckily I could handle. And it was, it was <laughs> a gift was handed to me. So it's like, I'll do it's it. It's like mindless work. I used to yeah. own a pressure washing company, by the way, when I was like in, in the grind hustle mode, trying to make more money. Well, that, that is not fun work. Dude, it takes so long. You have to get like so close to the house because the thing's not even super powered. I'm like, I'm on this little rinky ladder. You would have laughed. It was, it was brutal. Oh, we need a video of this. Got it done. Got it done. Oh, that's (laughs) awesome. Cool. So I think before we wind down the show, I want to just talk to you about, we're going to get into your social media and then we have the core four and the last drop coming up here. But before we do that, what is your, what are your future goals with your business and what's, you know, what's in, what's going to happen for you or your plan to happen for you in the next, I don't know, three to five years in, in your real estate portfolio. Dig. Keep acquiring heavily cash flowing assets. That's as simple as I can put it. Um, because I am currently making a very good income, and my job's great. It's it literally is the greatest job on planet Earth too. So I'm not trying to escape it. So there's no, you know, I need to get out. I hate my life. Like I make a lot of money and I love what I do most days. And so great. my goal is to over the next, I mean, this is a stretch goal. I won't say I'm not going to achieve. It's going to be very hard, but over the next two, call it three years, I want to get to where I got 150 plus in uh, passive income coming in off of real estate. And awesome. the reason being is I don't need that much to live, but that would, that gives you a comfortable, like I can still live, live and my bills are paid uh, if I ever did want to quit. And so that's what I'm striving for, man. And, and you gotta be, I don't want to say the word careful, um, not get careless and buy those because you can buy a lot of good cash flow and properties that are pretty bad properties, but they're going to depreciate over time. I still want to hold that standard of, no, we're buying decent properties, but we're still cash flowing. So that's my goal is just have a bunch of money coming in off of them over the next couple of years. That's uh, pretty simple, but that's the name of the game there. So yeah, uh, one of the cool things about you is your social media, which I think is uh, you're known as the finance cowboy on social media. And I can tell, obviously your accents are a little different than Ryan and I, so <laughs> I have, uh, <laughs> I know it's, you know, you're from the South. So how did you get to be the finance cowboy? Like, can you just walk us through like why you even made that name and what, what you kind of stand for, you know, in your, Dude, my brother-in-law is going to watch one of these at some point, at some point, he's going to see some of these podcasts and he's going to realize I'm talking about them. I got a couple brother-in-law, so maybe they don't know what I'm talking about, but <laughs> I decided I started this account in July. Okay. And the reason being is that one of my brother-in-law's First of all, um, hold on a second. I can't believe Finance yep. Cowboy wasn't taken. Did you pay somebody? Like that's a pretty Heck cool no. thing. Like Cowboy <laughs> Finance was gone. Ah. But Finance Cowboy wasn't. And I didn't even start with that. I'll get to that in a minute. That wasn't even my first name on there when I started in July. But the whole Instagram thing came from I have one of my one of my brother-in-laws is a genius. He's a doctor. He's got two MBAs, blah, blah, blah. He is a senior level executive at one of the most pristine hospitals in America like big wig. And he see me, I, you know, I'm more rough around the edges. I'm in sales. Like I don't dress nice. I keep my beard like real. We live on 11 acres. Yeah. I like drive a ranger around. We'd, uh, we'd get along well, brother. Yeah, dude. And so he's like polished. He wears his bow tie. So he probably looks at me and is like, Jaren's a wild card, you know? And I, I mean, I'm kind of a wild card. It's fine. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll wear it. But he's seen me buy all this real estate all these years and like the success I've had. 
but he like kind of downplayed it and like, you know, would kind of brush me off and never would buy. I'm like, okay, dude, whatever, dude, freaking do what you want to do. I'm going to be for a 10 million by the time, you know, I'm 30 freaking five years old. You <laughs> know, that's how I felt inside. And, uh, anyways, he starts coming at me. He had been following, which this guy's a great account, the wealth dad. Oh yeah. You guys follow him. yeah we follow great him. Account. He's great. He's great. But my brother-in-law keeps sending me, this is before I had my account, sending me this stuff about the wealth that he's like, I'm investing in all of these because Sean, the wealth that he's saying, this is what he buys. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I have a genius for a brother-in-law who is now taking investment advice from a guy who's like 28. He's never met who does a great job at marketing. And I was like, I have got to get in on this. Like I actually have some experience. Not say that Sean, the wealth dad doesn't, he definitely does. But yeah. like in real estate, I was like, I have some experience here and I got to hop in on this. So I was like, I'm starting an Instagram account. I think it's more ASAP. so that he took advice from somebody who wasn't you, who was right next to him that he could take advice from. Right? <laughs> yeah. And then he's like some random dude. I was like, well, I got info. I'm about to start giving advice out. And so I started it as the million by 30 coach. And that was my name to start and wasn't the cowboy thing at all. And I was like, this is a little too niche, like way too niche. People over 30 are going to be like, oh, I'm not interested, but I knew I had stuff to offer to everybody. And so I wear cowboy boots or whatever. I really don't wear a cowboy hat a lot unless I'm on, you know, my alter ego finance cowboy. But <laughs> yeah. um, I was like, it hit me one day. I was like, finance cowboy. I was like, that has a great ring to it. Like it's, you gotta be kind of catchy on there. It's I, which sucks. I'd like to just wear this, but it's like, you'll just blend in with the crowd. So I was like, Hey, let's do it. We're going to rock with it. And, um, you know, I started in July and, you know, I've grown a little bit, I don't know, five fifty-five followers now. And I really thoroughly have so much fun with it because I don't, it's, it's been interesting. I don't need it to monetize. Like I will monetize it eventually. I'm almost done with a course that I'm going to put out that it's going to be unbelievably helpful to people just based off of stuff. We talked about all my experiences. Um, but it's fun because I don't have to have it. So I can just like, Hey, this is what I've been through. Let me help you. And you get to be fun and creative with it. And so I'm having a blast, but that's why I started it. You know, thanks to my brother-in-law. We'll see where it goes. That's a cool story. So you gotta, you gotta keep this thing going, stick it to that, stick it to your brother-in-law, <laughs> you know, <laughs> make, make that thing grow. I, I love it, man. There's something about that, the little community we have on there too. It's just like, yeah. it, it gets at some points it gets like oddly addicting. You keep checking it and you're like, Hey, what's this guy doing? And you're like, all right, man, like, do I really need to do this every day? But it is fun. You meet amazing people. Like we got to interview you and then th think about the wealth dad. Like there's just a bunch yep. of people on there that, I mean, we've had, this is episode 89, I think it is. So wow. we've had, and mo a lot of people are from Instagram that we just ate, but yeah. Wow. Crazy. What, what did you say? 88? 88. Yeah, yeah. I was one off. Um, so either way, it's, it's just an incredible community, but then you find like, you're going to find people here to, to bounce deals on from and, and like, I don't know. We've just had gotten amazing advice over, over the last year and a half. And, and it goes and you, who would have thought on Instagram, right? It's just like, I thought it used to just be an app that people just check out pictures and watch videos, but it's I like, a, it's a powerful networking tool. So, uh, very cool. Love what you're doing there and, um, make sure to go follow finance cowboy. If you, uh, if you need your little fix on real estate and want to get informed, I love all the reels you've been doing. I talked about this before the, the, the one that had me cracking up earlier today was, you, uh, you asked how many properties you want here in your portfolio. And then you had the rent song, 525,000. <laughs> yeah. right I, I don't know what it was. I just love that song. It was good. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. Yeah. I hate, like we were saying earlier, I hate making reels. And I actually, 
made a whole batch of them this morning, lost all of them. So I got to go back ah, and do that tomorrow. But that's um, 10 hours you'll never get back. Dude, but, uh, I know. <laughs> it, it hurts, I know. man. It really does. Yeah, I, I could have. I can only imagine the scream you let out, dude. I just would have, or maybe there's a, a hole in in your one of your walls. But uh, it's very frustrating. <laughs> you hey, keep it up. <laughs> Love what you're doing, man. Um, Thank you, guys. Absolutely. So, uh, second to last segment of the show is uh, called the Core Four, and with this, we get to know you a little bit better. Ask four specific questions, just so that way um, our listeners can get to know you a little bit more too. We'll keep it easy on the first question. Um, what is your favorite real estate or investing book that has helped you along your journey? I really like the book on rental property investing. I think that's what it's called by Brandon Turner at bigger pockets. I think it is a great breakdown of how to start buying rental properties if you are new to the game. And so I would recommend that one. I have that Very book good. right next to yeah. me. It's one of my Bibles. I say that whoever brings it up, like I have like three that I go to and that's the, also the yellow. There's a, that's the blue one. The yellow one is mm-hmm. how to manage rental properties. Um, and it's by Brandon and Heather Turner, his wife. So incredible. I just, yep. it's, it's basic, but it's a walkthrough. It's, it's a step-by-step guide, which I like. There's not that much fluff and it just explains how to do it. Here's your book, call it a day. So yeah. Great huge, recommendation. Huge game changer for sure. I keep it too as a guide to me. Just like it's on my Kindle, pop it up. Hey, I want to like, you know, what's he thinking on this? And yeah. Super Love it. Cool. Love it. So question two, if you had an extra $50,000 of, let's just say not income, but like a lump sum, someone just gave you 50, 50 grand in cash, you know, how, how would you use it? What would you do with it right away? In your area, you could buy like 36 rental properties up here. It's like, you know, lucky if it's half of one, but what? it doesn't have to be real estate either. Yeah, Just what like you do? if you got a check 50K today, what would you do with it? I, buy, I mean, I'm buying $200,000 worth of real estate. That's, that gives cool. me 20%. So um, I would probably, I don't know what kind. I'll be honest with you, I don't care, wherever the deal is. So if somebody, you know, if I found or somebody brought me a short term rental that cash flowed well, and I could get in it for 200 grand, which is probably too low to get in one with most likely long term rentals at cash flow. Yeah. Awesome. Love it. Cool. Question three What's been your biggest mistake that you've made along your investing journey, and how have you learned from it? Mm. Let's see. I would say, Getting too excited and even making offer on deals before I completely underwrite them correctly. I don't go ahead. If you had a question. No, I I think that I was going to say, continue on because it's when you, especially, especially when you get involved in the community and you want to own real estate so bad, you can make the number say whatever you want the numbers Mm. to say. So it's go ahead. I'll let you finish there. Yeah. So luckily, you know, I haven't made it a huge mistake that's hurt me financially, but just wasting my time on properties that I was trying to make the numbers make sense. That weren't the, the, the spreadsheet was telling me no. And you have to keep emotion out. Just keep emotion out. Don't even let it creep. Be so disciplined to where you just, Hey, this is what it costs. This is what I can get. These are my, you know, variable costs. These are my fixed costs. Is it a good deal or is it not? Is it not? And then, you know, make your decision off of that. The sooner you do that, um, that's when you become a savvy and seasoned investor and you will make good decisions. That is a very, very, very hard thing to do. I'll say that. Like there's just something about going into a property and seeing something you like, you can, 
grasp onto that one thing and spin it every single time. You're like, ah, yeah, it, it might, you know, probably appreciate more because of this thing or in, in your cash flow numbers might not be, might be on par. So, um, I don't know what that syndrome is called. I don't even know if there's a name for it, but stay away from FOMO. It. FOMO. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. You want to own 20 units and you want to get there as fast as possible. And you're seeing other people do it. So you're like, if you can just put in your Instagram bio that you own 20 units, you'll feel better about yourself. And that's not yeah. all, not the case, right? I mm-hmm. mean, because you won't feel better about yourself if you're buying properties that are not necessarily depreciating in value, but that are taking money out of your pocket every yep. single month. And that's really what this comes down to is that, you know, I, I'd much rather own seven units that cash flow great than 16 that are average or below average or not making me money. It's like, why even buy? So yeah, there you go. There you go. Question number four, what do you want your legacy to be, Karen? Like, and maybe you're not a big legacy guy. Maybe you are, but like, why do you get up every day and do this? What is the pursuit all about? Cause it is not easy. It, it, you make it sound easy because you're good at what you do. But when you own X amount million in real estate and you're worth a million by, you know, you're worth a million dollars by 30, it takes a lot out of you. So what gets you up every day and why do you do it all? I think part of it is, you know, who we are, how we were brought up. Um, you know, what was our, what was it like for us when we were younger? What was instilled in us? And I, I see it in you guys. I see it in a lot of people invest. Like we just have a drive you know, we're going to, we have a drive that's going to be directed somewhere. <laughs> and it's like, where are we going to put this energy to? And so I've chosen to put that towards work and real estate. Um, as far as my legacy in the short term is freedom. You know, I think a lot of us do it for freedom. And again, I'm not trying to, you got to be real careful. I see a lot of people talking about financial freedom, financial freedom. And I think what they're actually saying is escape. And I've been in that boat before. I've probably lived a year of my life where it's like, I got to escape. I got to escape you. If you're living life, trying to escape, you're not living. And you only got one shot at this thing. We're all terminal and you don't know when it's your time to go. And so never fall into the trap of, I got to escape, enjoy the entire journey. And so again, mine is freedom and challenging myself to enjoy the journey while obtaining that freedom. And then long-term is being able to bless others. And I truly mean that, like we like to, to help and to give and to, you know, impart and spread knowledge to people too, with the things I've learned. And so long-term for me, like, yeah, it'll be cool that my kids are set up. Yeah. It'll be cool. They'll get to go to college, you know, probably paid for, but you know, a lot of people talk about, I'm doing this for my kids. Well, you don't know how your kids are going to turn out. They're going to be a drug addict. You know, they're going to die in a car wreck. Are they going to have no interest in your rental properties and your business? I mean, you can, there's nothing wrong with doing some stuff for your family. That that's definitely a part of what I do, but it's more of like, how can I give back? How can I bless others and love people along the way? And, um, you know, real estate and freedom gives me more time to do that at an earlier age. If I play my cards, right. It's very good. It's much better than that. Yeah. There you go. Really, really good. Thanks for that. So, um, we've officially made it to the last segment of the show and the last segment of the show is called the last drop. So with this, knowing what you know now, if you could go back to your younger self, let's say 19, 20 year old JD, what advice would you give him? And, and, uh, how would you help guide his ship to, uh, to the promised land? I would say like, not to be a broken record, enjoy the journey, be present as much as possible. Do not get in debt outside. I'm not talking about real estate. I'm talking about bad debt. Don't, don't buy a credit card. 
don't get into vehicle debt. Don't get into any of that kind of debt because in my opinion, that is like a quicksand to wealth building. It just slows you down. You have to trudge through until you can break out. And as soon as you have money, save up and start buying rental properties. You know, 22 years old, you got your first paycheck at CentOS, got an extra thousand, cool, sock it away. And at the end of the year, December, go buy your property. Uh, that'd be my, that would be my advice when it comes to, when it comes to real estate. Love it, man. That's a, uh, that's a great answer. And I think uh, telling your younger self that type of thing is it's, it's hard because you, you may or may not have listened to yourself back then, but it's, we love asking that question because I have a, a brother who's 19 and I always try to say, you know, what would I've done if I were you? So it's cool to be able to, to look back. Cool. Absolutely love the insight there. Well, Jaren, if people love the show and want to get to know you a little bit further, how can they find you to network, connect, et cetera? Um, let us know where we can send people to find you. Instagram at finance cowboy. That's, that's my main Avenue right now, right now, hopefully in time that'll spread out and we'll have some, some more things to offer, maybe a community and things, you know, like that. But right now, Instagram at finance cowboy, put out content daily. Um, if you ever have any questions, you can DM me. And, um, if you want to go in depth, you can schedule a one-on-one. I'd love to help. That's what I'm there for. And, um, I look forward to meeting all of you guys who, who land on my page. We highly recommend it. As I mentioned before, we've been following your page for a while. You're killing it. You offer a lot of amazing advice and your story is incredible. So thanks for sharing it with us. It was a pleasure having you on the show and we look forward to staying in touch. Thank you guys so much. It was an honor being here. 